we start to acknowledge that there is two very different worlds operating at the same time here in America. And one that is so toxic to the community, we can take the next step towards healing these issues so that America can truly be, shall I dare say, great. Hmm. Welcome home. This is your girl, Valerie, a.k.a. Priestess Super Vixen, a conversationalist. You're in my realm. Enchanting Asheville. In this show, you hear the voices of people of color and those who love them. In Asheville, North Carolina, and beyond. 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 Welcome home, Ashevillians and curious travelers. This is your girl, Valerie, a.k.a. Peace, the Super Vixen. And you are listening to Enchanting Asheville, where you hear the voices of people of color and those who love them. Today's episode is featuring myself. I will be telling you about three major racial experiences that I've had over the course of years. But first, it's time for the On the Ground update, where you get the latest on what's happening in Asheville with the Black Lives Matter movement and equity initiatives. Here's Savannah Gibson, our witchy field correspondent and local activist in Asheville. Savannah! Thanks, Val. This on-the-ground update is coming to you from the evening of September 1st. The Racial Justice Coalition recently released a call to action asking for folks to contact city officials in support of a moratorium on the selling of city land seized during urban renewal. They said... As the process of reparations unfolds, Asheville City Manager Deborah Campbell and the City Council can show their commitment to meaningful change in two ways. Firstly, by adding a moratorium on the sale of city land taken from the Black community to the September 8th City Council agenda. And secondly, the City Council needs to vote for an extension of the hotel moratorium passed last year. Additionally, additionally, the YMI Cultural Center Building Bridges, and ABL Racial Equity Collective, in addition to Keep It Moving Coalition, will be hosting a candidates forum on racial equity on Wednesday, September 9th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. The purpose of the forum is to go beyond soundbites and hear from the candidates regarding their vision for racial equity in Asheville, how they are practicing that vision, and how prepared and committed they are to implement detailed policy and budgetary changes beyond rhetoric that influence the lives of black and brown people and the culture of the city of Asheville. Lastly, there has been no update regarding the extension of the probation of Officer Hickman. Justice is still waiting to hear from John Powell regarding additional details. Stay on the lookout for more updates regarding this case in the near future. That's all I got for you, Val. Back to you. Thanks, Savannah. Now about my racial accounts. Here we go. I am grateful for the privilege to be here with you, my listeners, in this way. 
I know you are learning about me, and since this social racial climate has prompted me and my co-producer, Ben Stockdale, here we are. I decided to take the opportunity to share just a few racial experiences out of a lifetime of insults and disrespects. My hope is to bring awareness to my listeners who are curious about my racial experiences. My first, very first encounter was when I was around seven years old. The imagery is that I was a Navy brat and living in a military community. With working parents, I was cared for by a Caucasian family with the same last name and a new friend of the same age named Mary. Now, Mary and I were typical young American girls, but before that moment, most of my experiences were with people in the black community. So my experiences of being with Mary in the military community was definitely an awakening of a whole different reality. She and I rode bikes all around the community very safely. We had different types of friends in the community that were mainly white, but we played Barbie dolls and did things like that with those other girls. My first encounter with racism was with her family, and I don't mean her direct family either. In her household, she had three older sisters and a collie that was named something like Pretty Precious Princess or something like that. And every day after school, we would watch the Mickey Mouse Club, and I was introduced to peanut butter and marshmallow fluff sandwiches. We did many other things as well in the neighborhood. Some things that she taught me was about the culture of baseball. We would go to watch baseball games and it was absolutely paramount that you had a hot dog and a Coke at a ball game. Well, let me not continue to avoid the incident. One evening, little Mary's uncle came to visit her family He came through the door, and every one of Mary's sisters ran up to him with a hug, and they said, Uncle! After Mary ran up to him, wrapping her arms around him, I too ran up to him with a hug and said, Uncle! He pushed me back and asked, Who is this little nigger? I must have not heard that word before that because I didn't know what the word meant. And I looked at everybody else's face and I saw the blood rush out of their faces. That's when I realized the word nigger was a bad word and that it was only directed at me for a particular reason. At that time, I didn't ask my parents what the word was. And I guess because I felt like it was such a bad word, I didn't want to repeat it. So what I had done is realized as I got older what all that was about. And once I realized that I was only six or seven years old being addressed as such, my feelings were very hurt as I got older. My second talk is about racism in the school system. When my oldest son was like in second or third grade, he would get homework and the babysitter who was a much older lady took care of my children until I got off work in the evening. 
The setting is in a town called Monk's Corner, South Carolina, and the sitter usually helped my children with their homework. This particular evening, my babysitter let me know that my eldest son was not finished and his schoolwork, therefore, had to be finished at home with me. The book that he had was called The Toad and the Frog, and there was a sheet that was given that had instructions as to where to get answers to certain questions that was on the page. So for the sake of memory, it would say something like, what did the frog say on page 20? And when you looked at the page, the frog didn't say a word or there wasn't even a page with that number. So now, of course, I figured, well, I'm just overreacting until I kept seeing more and more of the questions not correlating with the book. Now, this is at the stage of our society where everybody was putting their children on Ritalin as advised by schools and teachers, and I just refused to put my son on medication. I knew he was just a normal, happy young child Every other day, they would next tell me on the job that I had to leave to go to my son's school to get him out of class because of some form of craziness or another. Now, this child was a very easygoing child at home, so what were they talking about? They would call me saying things like, your son is deliberately hiding under the music table so that he could bump the table and disrupt all the children's interest in music. Now, I know my child was damn near a genius. However, they gave my child a whole lot more credit than I would have. As a matter of fact, that made him seem diabolical in nature. When he was just being a child hiding under the table, playing hide-and-go-seek, this particular school year was very daunting for my child and me, we started coming up with a plan where he would be isolated with a petition all around him so that he can do the schoolwork. They said that they gave my child some schoolwork and he went ballistic. A meeting was scheduled for us to have with the principal, the teachers, counselors, and everyone else, of course. So I had to put on my working suit, which is which was a pinstripe suit that I wore. I was going to war. Every time they said something that was something to do with my child being an issue, I brought up a counter to whatever they had to say. The teacher, which was a young white girl, even would have students have slumber parties at her house, of which my child was, of course, not invited. So I brought up the fact that the teacher had a very unusual relationship with her other students, leaving my child to feel isolated emotionally. Of course, she played stupid like she didn't know what I was talking about, but I had spoke to my child, and I had heard about all these other conversations. Then, of course, I brought up the issue with the schoolwork where the book and the papers did not match. That particular teacher went emotionally unhinged, okay? And she said that she was entitled to make mistakes. She went on and on about how hard, how hard her work is and was beginning to conjure up those tears. You know what I mean. 
I stopped the meeting and said at this time, all emotions is left outside of this room. We will conduct ourselves completely with logic and professionalism from this time forward. She stopped her performance and looked at me like she could have stabbed me with her eyes. <laughs> I said, I took an account for normal errors, but when you have one homework that has five or six different ones, something is not right. When they told me about an incident where my son was behind a petition and given a sheet of work to do and that he threw it across the room and started screaming and having a fit, they said that that was evidence that he needed medication. My response was, it was evident that he was responding to whatever was on that sheet of paper that must have not been something that he recognized. At that point, I dropped the bomb and told them that, don't mind any of this about my son. He's leaving this school. We're moving. And at that time, I grabbed my bag and walked out. I can go on and on and on with the list of different horrific experiences with the American educational system towards my black children that would make you cringe. And the saddest part about it either, you're forced to put them in the school and have to tell your children how to counteract certain things and ask them to tell you everything. And they just want to have a normal life like any other child. The very last racial experience I will share with you, and I am telling you, I am saving your psyche and dealing with all the rest of the stuff that I have had to deal with. This incident, I will jump back to when I was dating a white guy in high school. My parents were extremely pro-black, so this happened slightly after my mom and my father's divorce. Somewhere around in high school, this guy and I started dating and we took it very serious. We did a lot together. We would go shooting at a shooting range because he was a marksman. We would go bowling because he was on a bowling team. One of our favorite things was to go and sit near the sidewalk of what is called the Battery in Charleston, South Carolina. We would sit there and talk as the water would lap up against the wall of the Battery. Well, this particular night, there was a man in the park, and for some reason, he caught my eye and James, and he started making a mad dash towards us. Soon we noticed at the same time that he had a rifle, James took off, and nothing happened that night. Now, the breakup of me and James now around this time, James and I were engaged and looking for a place to move in together. I have not met his parents, and I was pretty aware that they weren't happy about the choice of us being together. At this point in time, I had already moved out of my mom's house, and I was rooming with an elder in the community with a girlfriend of mine. On this day, I was in the shower, and I started crying uncontrollably with and my girlfriend who was there was, was asking me what was wrong and why was I crying? And I looked at her and told her, James and I are about to break up. I cannot explain the who's, the how's, and what I am sometimes, 
I just can tell you that this was why my ancestors would say that I was born a priestess. At least I was able to finally control myself, get out of the shower and get dressed. And James came to the door. I opened the door myself and I told him I already knew. So he came in and we sat down. And he relayed that his grandparents down in Florida, who was very prosperous with many properties and land and all this stuff, found out about our relationship and they gave him an ultimatum. Either he breaks up with me and our relationship or when they died, he would be taken out of the will and not given a solitary dime. Do you want to guess what his decision was? So these are the three main incidents that I would even care to talk about. And there's so many more atrocious experiences in between. Some that dangle between just really dealing with assholes and some are dealing with assholes with racial issues. I just want you to know about these experiences from my world Thank you for listening and do understand that racism is more than what adults teach at home. Racism is something that is well embedded in the school system as well as in other very hedonistic ways with teaching children. For instance, I have gone in my children's classrooms to observe and have caught the teachers many errors in math. And if you knew anything about me, I am not a mathematician. Heck, I get nervous just counting. And if I can catch you making an error, that's a big deal, okay? I, I really just can't explain it. And the kids, they don't want you to say anything, they just, want you to just be quiet and let them just make it through. The battle that we're fighting today is much deeper than you can ponder upon to a point that it seems like some fictional movie, but I am telling you that there are very deep consequences for these atrocious acts against people of color. There is payday for all of this, or it's healing. The choice is always ours individualistically. Thank you for listening. Now for just a few thoughts. In many cases, trauma has been endured by many different ethnicities from violence by other ethnicities. My conversation today is towards the African-American experience in America. There was a workshop given by a doctor named Dr. Joy DeGroy Leary. The workshop was called Post-Traumatic Slave Disorder. Now, now, before you get triggered by just the m main mention of trauma, slave, 
and disorder in the same sentence, let me help you slide into cold water a bit easier. Every person deals with daily situations that could be potentially traumatic. In most cases, it would be a good advice for you to speak to a professional to help you sort out your thoughts and feelings about certain situations. Some examples of trauma could be child abuse, rape, displaced from your family, witnessing someone being beaten or killed, and even verbally and emotionally abused by someone else. In many cases, you would be led to speak to a psychiatrist or a psychologist, someone of that type of profession, to assist you through a traumatic experience. But what if every time you turn on the news, you are triggered by one of those many other forms of trauma? On top of that, many of us are not given positive coping mechanisms to handle these experiences. Many people who are faced with very negative experiences in their lives use very negative coping mechanisms to deal with these emotional entanglements. All of these traumatic experiences happened to African Americans and indigenous Americans upon the institution of European colonialism. Many other cultures that experienced horrendous trauma like that of the Jewish Holocaust, or at least spoken up as a horrible experience to a whole ethnic group of people, has been at least acknowledged. The acknowledgement of such a horrific thing that happened in Germany was so profound that to this day people are shunned to name their child Adolf Hitler. When there is an acknowledgement of a wrongdoing, there is an opportunity to uplift the person who is victimized. And if we are not even capable of acknowledging the atrocities of one group of people without having to hear everyone else jump on the bandwagon of, I was traumatized too, or we in Europe had traumatic situations to deal with as well, is just another way of avoiding the uncomfortable conversation as well as dehumanize the experience of another. The reparations is very important to people of color, so much more important than financial gain. To first get a public announcement, if I would imagine that being accounted for as the atrocities of the experience of people in North America will be like the beginning of building blocks for us to heal and make it through. One of the things that I think is important is that we develop stronger groups that will police the classrooms as what is being said and done in the presence of African-American children As a matter of fact, it would be more funding for Afrocentric schools to be built in order to give children of color a stronger chance at being confident as well as productive when it comes to education. Now, 
the reason that I'm even saying this is because a lot of racism is not just something that happens at home behind closed doors. It happens behind the closed doors of our educational system as well. And there have been many accounts of teacher students who have seen horrific experiences, but their mouths and their hands were gagged and tied. We start to acknowledge that there is two very different worlds operating at the same time here in America. And one that is so toxic to the community, we can take the next step towards healing these issues so that America can truly be, shall I dare say, great. It is our duty to hear the lamentations of others and give it a look a little deeper in order to see the nugget of credence that exists. And why is there such a resistance towards making amends for people of color Many other ethnicities were compensated in some form of or another, if that's even possible, for their traumatic experiences. However, when it comes to the enslaved Africans in America, we still look for it. Instead, we end up hearing someone say something like, well, slavery was just the way we made money in America back then. Thanks for listening. Now here's your weekly enchantment where I'll offer healing words for my Ashevillians and curious travelers. My dear loved ones of all cultures and all human nations, sit down and relax. In this quiet, sacred moment, Feel the peace surrounding you. Feel the strength of Mother Earth underneath you, your body and your feet. As you inhale and exhale, you notice the rhythm of your breath. The rhythm of your heart starts to coincide with the heartbeat of the Earth. All time stops. You slowly open your eyes because you feel the warmth of a fire. As you open your eyes, you see yourself sitting with many other beings in a circle. All types of ages, ethnicities, all kinds of smells and you can feel the fire emanating from the center of the circle and you feel one with all of these beings. Next thing you know, you close your eyes again and then you feel cool waves upon your feet from the ocean. You open your mind's eye and you see the ocean before you. You look down and see the waves coming across your feet. And that big rhythmic movement of the ocean. It is as large and as far as your eyes can bear to see. 
you feel so one with the world, one with the sky, one with the ocean. Oh, you feel both small and magnificent. You close your eyes again and you feel heat again, but a drier heat. So you open your eyes to find yourself sitting among the red clay mountains. Oh, that red clay is so deep and rich. And others are there too, sitting on rocks and boulders. Someone's over at the fire hooking up some vittles. <laughs> it smells so good to you. You feel at home. You close your eyes again. And this time you open your eyes. Huh. You're in a windy city on top of a skyscraper. As far as your eyes can see, you see buildings lit up. And you hear the cars moving about and people's voices. And you can smell all the many different restaurants. And you can smell that familiar fire burning, all in style and classy-like, on top of that building. As you close your eyes, you hear the sound of faint drumming. The beats get slightly louder and louder, just enough to bring you back to your current location. There's a crack of lightning above. <laughs> Thanks, Uncle Shango. It's time for you to come back. My beloved ones, it's time for you to come back to this present time. Slowly, you start to hear the sounds of the city around you. <laughs> Birds chirping and neighbors going in and out of their vehicles, slamming the doors. You can even see that you have a few messages on your phone. <laughs> Welcome back. Take a deep breath, my love. We recalibrated wisdom, strength, compassion, and love from our benevolent ancestors and the cosmos back into our hearts, minds, and actions. Just know they love you. I love you. Thanks for joining us on this episode. The next few shows will be featuring the aspect of my podcast as Those That Love Them. In the past, you've heard the voices of people of color, but this time you will hear from Caucasians who have taken the time to get training and have evolved to be better allies for people of color. Stay tuned. Hey, 
we're looking for sponsors and benefactors for this show so that we can continue elevating the equity work being done in our community. If you know a business or someone who would like to financially support our show, please contact us at supervixen19 at gmail.com. That is S-U-P-E-R-V-X-N-19 at gmail.com. You can follow me at Super Vixen Conversationalist on Instagram and Facebook. If you are interested in hiring me directly for conversations or private enchantments, you can reach me by appointments at supervixen19 at gmail.com. If you would like to make a donation, PayPal me at paypal.me forward slash S-U-P-E-R-V-X-N-1-9. Thank you for your support. You've heard my enchantment and received it well. Now go forth and be a part of this loving community movement that is enchanting Asheville and beyond. Bye for now. Hey, witches. Brooms up.